you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and get it out and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, as you do that, I'm going to share with you verse 8 as we start our time together. Because what we've seen in the book of Hebrews is we've seen the author lay out this argument in this story and this evidence towards who Jesus actually is. And then he gets to chapter 13 and he just lays down things we ought to do. This is where all of what we've been learning throughout the summer becomes really practical. And I wish it was easy to do, right? I wish it was the easy thing to do. But living for Christ is one of the most rewarding things and it's also one of the most challenging things. So I want to start us off in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which we will come back to. But he says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. I love what we sang in that last song. It says, what other God is undefeated? Like Jesus is the one and the only. And so he is why we are here this morning. He is why we worship he is why we have the very breath in our life. And so the Hebrew author, as he tries to display to us, is he is showing us throughout the whole book that Jesus is better. I don't know about you, but I think this world needs some hope, don't you? I think this world needs some good news. I think this world needs to see a Savior who would do anything beyond what they would think. And see, oftentimes what I hear from my friends and from people that I know is they want to quote Jesus, but they don't know what they're quoting. And we want to project onto God what we think love is. And all I have to do is get out my phone. I should get it out so I can keep track of time this morning. I already told the worship man, I said, just if I'm going too long, come up and I will know to shut it down. But all I have to do is get on social media and I can guarantee you within 30 seconds I can find people being unkind, unloving, and quite frankly, unchristian. And it's one thing for someone who's not a Christian to be unkind, unloving, and unchristian. But it's a completely different thing when I see my brothers and sisters in Christ valuing things far and above the kingdom of God. This sermon, this, these scriptures, they might push on some buttons that are uncomfortable, but here's the bottom line. As I read this, as the word of God bears on my heart and my soul, it confronts me with who God is and who I am. And there's a great chasm. But thankfully, Jesus is the one who made the way for us, right? So let's open up to Hebrews chapter 13. And I've got, you can see my Bible, I've got all these marks in here. And we will be jumping around just a little bit. So let's read these scriptures. Let's pray that the Lord would open our hearts and minds to, to receive what he wants to speak to us this morning. This isn't my message, this isn't my sermon. I just get to be the one who gets to deliver it. Hebrews chapter 13, and we're only going to cover the first 16 verses. We'll cover the rest Thursday night. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the, let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We'll stop there. My goal is to go through each section, each verse, if I have to. And if I can't make it through them all, then we'll just have to pick it up on Thursday night. But there's so much here because we could spend one sermon 45 minutes, probably longer, on just the first verse. But it's so valuable because when we see who Christ is, we see that he is the greater Moses. When we see that he is the greater Melchizedek, when we see that he is the greater David, when we see he endured the cross for our shame, that he calls us his sons and daughters, merely by his work, he calls us to a different way of life. And to merely proclaim that Christ is our Savior one time in a prayer and not live that life out scares me. Because it does two things. One, it, it makes me as a pastor wonder, where are my friends who have confessed Christ but are completely living a life opposite of Jesus? And two, what does that witness say to a world? Because the world is watching. The world's watching how you treat your servers when you go out to eat. The world is watching how you treat your spouse. Your kids are watching how you treat one another. Your neighbors are watching. The people you work with are watching. The world is longing for hope, and we are in a desperate time. And what they want to see is someone who is in love with Jesus, that they are unashamed to call him their Savior. Not just a mere ticket to heaven. But it comes at a cost. And so we start with verse 1. He says, let brotherly love continue. Now, many people think that Paul did write the book of Hebrews, and we're not 100% sure. But there are a lot of similarities, because if you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 10, you see almost the same identical verse. Outdo one another with honor. Let brotherly affection continue. 
And see, he's doing the same thing. He set up this whole argument to, a Jew, to Jewish Christians about who Christ is, how he came to fulfill all that they couldn't fulfill, and that it's by grace that you're saved. And he comes to Romans chapter 12, and he says, outdo one another in honor, let brotherly affection continue. And man, I wish that we didn't have to preach this message. Man, I wish that I didn't have to preach this message to myself that, Rob, let brotherly love continue. And what does he mean by this? He means that because we're in Christ, I have friends that are in Christ that we don't have much in common, but we have Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can come together and have all things in common. And it means that when I see my brother or my sister in need, it means that, that I love them enough to take care of them. One of the things that I'm learning to do is I'm learning to pray more often and I'm learning to pray more immediately. You know when someone comes to you and they ask for a prayer request or maybe they send you a text message or maybe you read on the Facebook page, the Prayer Warriors Facebook page, and they, they plead for prayer, and, and it may be for something very serious, like someone with acute leukemia. And it may be for something that you don't necessarily deem worthy to pray about. And what we do is we do this, right? Text them back, I'll pray for you, and we set the phone down. Or we go back to what we were doing. And our intent is to pray, but we don't do it, and we just leave it go. And then perhaps maybe we'll pick that phone back up because they text us again and we're like, oh, I didn't pray. I'll pray for him tonight. Can I tell you one of the best ways you can love one another is by praying for each other? When someone comes to me and asks for prayer, I want to be in the habit of saying, yes, I'll pray for you. Let's pray right now. Let's not put it off because there's a tendency for us to forget. One of my best friends is a pastor in... Pike County, Missouri, up northern, in northern Missouri. And serving alongside him in ministry for a handful of years, this is one of the beautiful things about my friend Mike. No matter where he was, if it was at a church event or at Walmart, and I think their prayer requests are equally the same either place you go, maybe more so um, at Walmart. And it didn't matter where he was, he would go through the checker line and he would talk to the checker like an actual person like someone that God actually cared about. And they would open up to him, and he would say, let me pray for you right now. And he would pray in the middle of Walmart in the checkout line. Usually my prayers are after I leave Walmart and say, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> what would our church look like if people drove up on this campus and were greeted in the parking lot with a smile? Not with hugs, not yet, or high fives. What if they saw someone who cared about them, who said, man, will you pray with me? And said, let's go pray right now, and they prayed together. What would it look like if after service we spent time together, or if someone was in need and they needed to move? Let brotherly love continue. Jesus reminds us of this. In John chapter 15. He says in verse 12, This is my commandment. 
So this isn't my suggestion. This isn't just an idea or a theory. He says, this is my commandment. If you obey, if you love Jesus, you will obey him, is what the scripture teaches us. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He also says in John 13, Verse 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, I'm scorched by these scriptures as I read them, and, I, and I'm torched by, by the conviction of the Spirit because I know that I don't always do this, and I know that you probably struggle in this as well. And he goes on and he even says this in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 9, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again in 1 John four nineteen, he says, We love because he first loved us. In chapter 3, verse 16, he also reminds us, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Because of Jesus we love one another because he is not ashamed to call you and I his brothers, his sisters. He is not ashamed. The naked Christ, nailed to a tree, exposed for all the world, marred beyond what we could even imagine, abandoned by all, scorn the cross for you and I. call us friends, to call us brothers and sisters. And he calls us to love one another in the same way. What a witness and testimony we have for the world. Let's move on. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about when you help someone? Have <laughs> you ever think, I wonder if that's an angel? <laughs> They probably don't look like an angel. They probably don't appear like an angel, and they probably don't talk like an angel. If you remember back to Genesis chapter 18, Abram and his nephew Lot, and they're in this foreign land, and these angels come to Abram, and he rushes to feed them and to take care of them at his own expense. Now, I don't know if the angels appeared as angels. I think they probably, with the scriptures, what we can tell is they just appeared as men. But out of his hospitality, this word hospitality in the Greek is two combined words. One meaning brotherly love, philo, and one xenia, which you've probably heard in the news quite often, xenophobia. It means strangers. The word literally means hospitality. means love to strangers. When you love a stranger, it comes at a cost, doesn't it? There's no guarantee you'll ever see them again. There's no guarantee that they'll pay you back. How many of us have seen some homeless people in the union? 
There's one guy, he's got a beard. He's really friendly. I, 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 I pray that the Lord would save him. I would install him as a greeter next week. And I've given him money, and I've talked to him. And one time, Christine bought some burgers from uh, Hardee's or McDonald's, and she saw him, and she bought an extra one or two, and she pulls up. I don't advise doing this necessarily if you're a lady by yourself, okay? Um, but she pulled up and said, hey, I got an extra hamburger. Would you like it? And he didn't say, yes, I will. He took it, and he proceeds to put his arm in the car, and he might have even leaned in for a kiss. I don't know. It didn't happen. But he was thankful. You see, being hospitable towards strangers is also something that God calls us to do as Christians, to be hospitable to one another. I've got lots of scriptures this morning, so you just need to buckle up, take some notes. In fact, if I turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, this giant of the faith, writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, this pastor, he's, he loves him and he cares for him and he pours into him. He says this in 1 Timothy 3, saying, I want you to establish elders within the church to help you lead and shepherd and oversee the church. And he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. No, it gets better, so hold on. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And I'll stop there. You see, the call for leadership in the church is for hospitality towards others. Why? Because Jesus, again, was hospitable to us. We didn't deserve his hospitality. Yet what did he do? He condescended to the world he created before the foundations of the world to enter into this life, to walk this life for you and I. Is there any God that's more hospitable than Jesus? And because of his hospitality towards us, we are hospitable towards not only each other in brotherly love, but to those that may never repay, to those that it may come at a sacrifice to our wallet, to our gas in our vehicle, to our time with our family. See, when I read 1 Timothy 3, and it says qualifications for an elder or a deacon— this is the qualifications for anyone aspiring to be like Christ. This is what we should all aspire to be. This is what I aspire to be. Lord, help me be above reproach. Help me be sober-minded and self-controlled and respectable and hospitable and able to teach. We have neighbor kids over at our house all the time. You think having six kids is enough. <laughs> for some reason, they, they come to our house. And then they move away, and we don't know what happens to them. And I have to be self-controlled sometimes because I'm trying to be dad to my kids and overseer of them and make sure they're playing well and loving well, but also making sure they have food in their stomachs and someone kind to them. We're to be hospitable because Jesus was hospitable to us. Let's move on. Verse 3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Can you imagine if no one supported the Apostle Paul? You see, our prison system's a lot different than it was back in the Roman world. When you were in prison, sometimes you may be in a dungeon with 
with bars. Sometimes you may be in someone's house that they guard, and here's the thing, you cannot leave, you cannot do anything, and so you are relying on those family members, those friends, to take care of you. And Paul wrote all these letters from prison to these churches that he had planted, and as he was persecuted for following Christ and they threw him in jail, he wrote to his friends to encourage them to continue on in the gospel. There's a pastor and a preacher named um, Paul Washer. Paul Washer is one of those preachers that like just gets in your face, okay? Like, there are some guys who talk real soft-spoken and they're real gentle, and I love those guys. And there's guys that really just get all fired up. And Paul Washer is one of those guys that gets fired up about the glory of God. And one of the things that he talks about was when he finished Bible college and seminary, he wanted to go on the mission field. He wasn't married, didn't have a family, and he wanted to die for the gospel. Like, he literally wanted to go somewhere dangerous, preach the gospel, and be killed for Jesus. Pretty extreme, isn't it? And I wonder, if our lives were put on the line, if we had to say the name of Jesus or die, what would we do? And my prayer and my hope is that we would pursue him at all costs. Because this is exactly what the early church was doing. This is why we, we read in Hebrews 11 that some were sawn in two. Peter, crucified by legend, to upside down. And all of the apostles were killed except for John. They just couldn't get rid of John. These same men that cowered when Jesus was brought before Herod and they left and ran with their tail between their legs now are putting their lives on the line for the gospel. And I'm like, Lord, please let me do that. Help me love you enough that I would say your name and that I would run this race for you, that I would tell those about you, that I would love those, that I would serve those, that I'd be hospitable no matter what it costs me, even if it costs me my life. We are participants together. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance. This is a guy sitting in prison with no freedom, completely reliant on those around him. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, the Philippian church, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, listen to this, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not done with you yet. He's got to work, and he's got to work in this body still yet. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all, you are all partakers of me with grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What if these churches didn't support Paul? Now, I can look back and ask that question, and, and it won't change anything, but what if these people didn't remember those saints in prison for the sake of the gospel, especially the Apostle Paul? I wonder how far the gospel would have reached. I think it would have still reached where it needed to reach, but it would have been even more difficult. Do you see how important it is that we support one another? And we have a ministry in here called Kairos, that goes down to the prison in Potosi. Now it's been kind of put on hold for now, but they go down and they love on these men and they pray for these men and they share the gospel with these men and they're hospitable because it costs them time. 
But then he goes on and he says, and those who are mistreated. Now, I don't know where you stand politically. I personally feel homeless. I feel like there is not a spot for me because I see so much evil in our governmental system. But you know what bugs me more? Is seeing people of all colors, of all creeds, of all faiths, losing their life, regardless of the circumstance, and Facebook filled with opinions that it was okay. Let me tell you something. Ezekiel says that God grieves over the, life of lo- the loss of life. This is not the way it was intended to be. And there are people in this county that are mistreated. Yet we want to hold on to our opinions and our political affiliations so much and our Second Amendment rights. I'm a hunter. I like shooting things. And I like eating things. But Christ has called me to lay down every right for his kingdom and for his people. So I ask you, how are you doing it, loving those who are mistreated? Do you even see those who are mistreated? Just think about it. You were the same person. You were a stranger and an alien from God, an enemy. And Jesus came down and he was mistreated for you. Let's move on. Verse 4. I mean, we're getting really good now, aren't we? Really pushing my thumb into the, uh, the open wound. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. If we only knew the beauty of marriage, this covenant, this commitment that we make to one another, what a witness and testimony it is to our world. Because what we're saying is, God loves you, and you're the one who cheats on him, and you're the one who mistreats him, and you're the one who blasphemes his name, and yet he still loves you. Yet, when you look at nine-year-olds, parents, unrestricted access to their phones and the internet, who are looking up pornography, and their heart is being destroyed because we don't take efforts to watch over our families. Pornography in, in men has always been great, but guess what, ladies? It's grown in the female sector as well. It's a cancer, and it destroys not only your relationship with your spouse, it des- it's destroying in your heart and your love towards our Savior. There are Christians who like to cohabitate before they get married. And the stats just don't bear out that that's any beneficial, that the divorce rate is higher. The divorce rate is just as high and higher in Christian marriages as it is in the world. A lot of that is because people just aren't getting married. But our marriages are to be undefiled. They are to be a picture of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs someone to be faithful to us. Jesus is our bride. 
our bridegroom, and we are his bride. Let's continue to pursue him. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I mean, it's like the writer of Hebrews knew that 2020 in America, we needed to hear this. Money is not a bad thing. But the pursuit of money over all else is. In the kids' prayer, part of that prayer is Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? I mean, I've said it before out of context. You've said it before out of context. Evander Holyfield has said it out of context as he had embroidered on his velvet robe before he went to knock someone out in the name of Jesus. And if we got to the the heart of that verse, what we would see is that there's nothing about having physical strength to beat our enemies because here's the thing. The Bible isn't about us. The story of David and Goliath, you're not David. Jesus is David. Goliath is sin in your life. It's not an obstacle you can conquer. It's sin that destroys you and only promises you death. And you wouldn't step up to the line with five stones and take on sin because you would lose every time. But Jesus steps in and he takes care of that for you. And so we walk in his strength, not our strength. Philippians 4.13, Paul's talking about being content whether he has much or little. But above all else, that it's Jesus that is the center of his life. And I see friends and people building the dream life. And our lives are only but a moment in eternity. But a moment. Yet we will pursue everything we can to grasp a hold of everything in this world. But we have an eternal city which is far greater than anything we can imagine. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Is anyone saying not to have a nice house or cars or 401k? No. What we're saying is that cannot become the goal of your life and the purpose of your life and sprinkle a little Jesus on the side. It means don't just come in and say a prayer and then go about your life as if nothing has actually changed in your heart. You see, Jeremiah 31 says that he has come to give us a new heart, that he would write it on hearts of flesh. Jesus changes his people so that we pursue him and not the world. It's only passing away. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Oh, okay. So Paul was martyred. Peter was martyred. John, they tried to kill. Those are the guys we want to imitate. 
Yes. Yes, those are the guys you want to imitate. John is an amazing guy. If you have not got to know him, just wait, you will, because he'll be at your house. He'll be helping you move, help you install a deck in your backyard, he'll bring you dilly bars, he'll, he'll be at your house eventually. He cares about you. He, he loves this church. He is a guy worth imitating. Sean is a guy worth imitating. Teenagers, two twelvers. The man loves the Lord. Alan and Jenny, there's someone to imitate. They've been in ministry for 50 plus years and been married for 50 plus years. How many people do you know? When I read Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 and this great cloud of witness cheering people on, I think about them because they've been running this race for a long time. Are they perfect? No. None of us are perfect. But we can imitate those. I think of Mark and Kathy who have been a part of this church and they got married by Alan on the other side of the building. Look around you. You're running this race together. Imitate those you follow. Imitate those who God has put in front of you. Matthew Henry is an old Irish preacher. He's got this Matthew Henry commentary, which is fantastic. And he said this, echoing the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he said, be imitators of me as I, as I am of Christ. And Matthew Henry said, follow me as I follow Christ. This is discipleship. This is what it looks like to pursue Jesus, that we do it together. We don't do it alone. That we spend time with one another, that we, we knock off the hard edges, we encourage, we exhort, and we may even see, say things that are hard to hear, but we have to hear them because we're loving one another by helping us run this race. We're trying to make this shift in this church, not to be a church that makes disciples, or of disciples, but that is disciples. That discipleship would just permeate every part of who we are, that our goal would be to follow Christ at all costs. You've got good leadership in this church. All up and down. From pastors to elders to children's workers to 212 ministry to people greeting at the front door. Jesus is the greater shepherd. We're all trying to follow him, but we do it together. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love this promise that he throws in there. Why does he throw this in there? Because people will come and go. Pastors will come and go. Friends will come and go. But the message of Jesus never changes. Jesus never changes. He is the one thing that we hold on to in all of life. No matter where we're walking, no matter what we're doing, Jesus Christ is the same, and he's the faithful witness. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 says this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. 
the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings of earth. Jesus is faithful. He's unchanging. So what comes, from, comes behind us in the past and what goes to the future all revolves around that Jesus is at the center of it all. And he is what brings us here this morning. I pray that this book of Hebrews, as you've gone along with us on this journey, and you can go back and listen to all of the sermons online as well. You can read this book in your Bibles. That you would see this beautiful picture of Jesus, far greater than than anything we could imagine. A Jesus worth following. A Jesus that may cost you your very life, but is so worth giving it all up for. I want to close with this. I want to go to Luke chapter 9. Because the Hebrew writers, I'm not going to get there this morning for sake of time, but he goes on and he talks about how Jesus was left out the city and bare reproach and endured shame. And that those who are left in the city are holding on to their life as if they have any control whatsoever. They're holding on to religion. And he says, but Jesus is outside the camp. He was outside the city. And what they would do is they would take the sin offerings, the bulls and the goats, and they would sacrifice them in the city, take the blood, sprinkle them on the altar on the day of atonement, the only one they would do this, and they would take their carcasses outside of the city and burn them. Do you see how Jesus sprinkled his blood on the altar of the cross outside the city? And what he's saying is this, that if we hold on to religion, we hold on to legalism, if we hold on to licentiousness, which is grace-free reign with no consequences, if we hold on to our very lives, we're inside the camp. We're inside the tent. Because following Christ will will cost you something. It may cost you family members. It may cost you friends. People will not understand why you wake up early on your day off to come to a building to sing songs because they know that you can't sing. To hear someone speak. To take these little elements that represent blood and someone's flesh and then you give money to it at the end of the day. People don't understand that. That seems that's far removed from them. But following Christ is costly. Luke chapter 9, Jesus lays this out for them. And I say this because we are not guaranteed tomorrow, we're guaranteed this moment. And in, all, in light of all of who Christ is, he's worthy to follow. And he says this, right after Peter confesses that Jesus was the Christ in Luke chapter 9, He says, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I sure want to hear Jesus call my name. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to be one of those people that throws abandon to this life in order for the life to come. He says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have. He says, the fruit of the sacrifices of praise is that one that acknowledges his name. Believe it or not, there are good people in this world. There are good people who don't worship the God of the universe. The world doesn't need good people. Union doesn't need good people. Union needs Jesus. And he needs people that love him enough that they would acknowledge him on their lips wherever they go. Romans 10 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Guess what? You, your feet, your ugly feet, or your beautiful feet, are the means by which God takes the good news of Jesus to those around us. Yes, you. Yes, you who are sitting there saying, not me, I can't speak. Not me. I don't know what to say. Not me. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the sacrifice we pray, of praise we give to God, is that we would acknowledge his name and say, Jesus. I'm going to ask the team to come up. And you know, this is not an easy thing. <laughs> this is a lifelong process. This is the valleys and the mountains. This is the stumbling and the picking oneself up. This is the picking each other up. This is the encouraging each other. This is the spurring on of each other. This is to see that our community could be changed only by the, by the grace of God. And that his kingdom, the eternal city, being with God in his presence is worthy of our lives. I say this because I've seen younger kids unafraid to talk about the Lord. I've prayed, and my wife have prayed for our kids as they've been in public school for their teachers. <laughs> you know, and our, prayer, our prayer has been selfish. <laughs> Give them a good Christian teacher that will be gentle and kind to them. <laughs> but above all else, Lord, just <laughs> we pray for their, for their class. And you know what's happened before? I've seen my kids (laughs) 
share Jesus with their teachers. When we moved back here four or five years ago, we homeschooled for a year, and then we put our kids in school. And we put Robbie and Clark there. And we were planning a church. And it was hard. His first day of school, he wears his shirt, church shirt. Doesn't know a kid up there. And a kid sitting across from him says to his kid, another kid at his group says, do you believe in God? And he goes, no, that's dumb. It didn't have to deter him. God used him. Following Jesus isn't easy. But it's worth it. This city needs Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Hebrews has showed us that he is worth it. Let me pray. Seek the Lord God. You are so good, Jesus. You are so worthy. You are so better. Lord, teach us, remind us that you can use even us to bless someone, to show brotherly love to someone, to display a marriage in a broken world that doesn't understand why people stay married together. to care for those who are mistreated, to show hospitality to those we don't know, to visit those in prison, or to be willing to sacrifice our very breath and our very life for you. God, I pray that as we continue to worship, as we continue to seek your face this morning, you would lift us up, that you'd renew us. Remind us that you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And God, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.